prisoner for the Lord, urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called, with all humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another in love, eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. There is one body and one Spirit, just as you were called to the one hope that belongs to your call, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is over all and through all and in all. Well, good morning, church family. It is a joy and privilege to join you today for our 1030 service. My name is Shabir, one of the pastors here, and Noah, thanks for taking the time to do our Bible reading this morning. Uh, this morning, I want us to pause again from our Hebrew study, which will kick back again next week. Uh, following on from what Andrew shared last week, and I wanted us to revisit a um, passage that you've already heard read to you that we as a church have actually looked at already uh, from the book of Ephesians. Uh, a little while back, we as a church went through the book of Ephesians. But we just wanted to pause and revisit this passage. And because it's God's word, I pray that it will continue to reveal to us what's on his heart and, and challenge us and change us. Um, the scene that I want to set before you firstly is to remind us again uh, the Apostle Paul has gone to great lengths to remind this church what Christ has done and not only that, the reality of who they are in Christ because of this, because of his reconciling work. It's a really encouraging letter but also um, deeply unpacks what it means to be a church. Now he moves to the practicalities of this, meaning that because of this truth, because of Christ's redemptive work, because of the good news of the gospel, because of who you are in him, not just individually, but as a church community, this is how you ought to live. So what I want us to consider are two things. One, a worthy manner of life in verses 1 to 3. And then two, the source of unity in verses 4 to 6. Would you join with me in prayer? Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done here on earth as it is in heaven. Oh Lord, I pray that through your word you will transform hearts and lives. Lord Jesus, would you continue to be front and center as we come to this time of worship? Holy Spirit, I pray that no matter where we are right now, we will be united as we consider the passage in front of us. Oh Lord, I plead with you. Let it be for your glory alone. In your mighty name, I pray. Amen. You know this, and I think we're getting a sense of it more and more. We are living in very divisive times where divisions are all around us. And particularly even in our culture and community and even in Christian community. I mean... Uh, even someone who doesn't know Jesus, I had a, a conversation with them recently and they were sharing about the vaccination situation and they have landed somewhere else from one of their best friends who they've been friends with for 30 years. And that person said, I can't be friends with you anymore because of your view on this particular topic. I'm hearing stories like this over and over again, not just with my non-Christian friends, but in, within the Christian community. And there are those moments as well where Christians who love Jesus, who believe in this gospel, who have different views on certain topics of theology, and they end up dividing and fighting over it. But you know, division is nothing new. It's a reminder of the brokenness and sin in this world. 
It is actually as old as the garden. In the garden, when God created the world, he placed Adam and Eve to be under his loving rule and loving authority. It was beautiful unity there. Satan comes, he brings division. He tempts Adam and Eve, tells them they can be like God, choosing over good and evil. And so they fall into temptation. They, they commit sin. They rebel against God. They disobey. God confronts them and their response is happening to even to this day, the blame game. Blaming everything and everyone but themselves. And the story of disunity is littered throughout the Bible, whether if it's families or nations or tribes. But God's design has always been this, for his people to be united around him under his rule because of the very character of who he is. You see this in Deuteronomy chapter 6, verse 4. Hear, O Israel, the Lord, our God, the Lord is one. God in his very essence is one. He wants his people to be one. Yet because of sin, there's this threat constantly towards his people to divide. Because of pride, because of sin. Ultimately, I think also because of self-centeredness. Rather than being centered on God and what matters to him. And this is why we need the good news of the gospel. Uh, before Christ coming to this world, people were marked based on a tribe and who they belonged to, uh, very ceremonial laws. Jesus comes and displays perfection 100%. He's, he's a vision of beauty and of unity because he talks about him and the Father of one. This one dies and is raised again on the third day. The beauty of the, the language of union and what that means was so important to Jesus, so important that just before he went to the cross, he prays, not just for the disciples, because he knows what is to come. Division, ravenous wolves, such strong language there. And he prays this, not just for them, but for the church that will be born because of the proclamation of the gospel. So that I do not ask for these only, but also for those who will believe in me through their word, that they may be all one, just as you, Father, are in me and I in you, that they also may be in us, so the world may believe that you have sent me, that the glory that you have given me I have given to them, that they may be one, even as we are one. The Apostle Paul is, knows this, he's heard this, he's, he believes in this, and now he's encouraging this church to live this out because of the truth of the gospel. The implications of what it means to be in the life of the church. It begins by challenging them and reminding them to live a worthy manner of life that is marked by a few things particularly in the life of the church. This is what it looks like. Now, please understand, the words in front of us are not an option. It's a command from God. That if you're a Christian, if you call yourself a church who believes in Christ and the gospel, the calling is not an option in front of us. The language is so strong here. He says, I implore you, I urge you as ones who belong to Christ, 
Don't just know that you belong to Christ. Don't just know that you are in Christ. But because of this, let your lives display this truth. A life that is a worthy manner of life that is displayed outwardly in these ways. In the life of the church. And how? You see that in verse 2 in front of us. In humility, in gentleness, with patience, bearing one another in love. These are beautiful, descriptive words that have so much power and challenge. The language of being humble and gentle uh, is a vision of someone who's like a servant, who's lowly, who's there to serve. I mean, this would have been countercultural then and even today. Even then, their view of someone who was successful was described as someone as the big-souled man, someone who is complete, someone you aspire to. This is contrary to what Paul is saying here. Paul is saying it's opposite for you as a church to be humble and gentle. And even today, when, when you and I hear gentle and humble, we, we might hear someone who's shy. This is not the vision here. Actually, the vision is of someone who restrains themselves, who does not think that they're entitled. And their focus is away from themselves and is focused on the interest and care of others. Church, this is actually a command and a calling for all of us. This is the lifestyle that we are called to, to walk in a manner worthy of the calling that is defined by humility. And this humility is what causes the church to grow in unity. Humility is a key mark of the church. And when the reality of the good news of Jesus, the gospel, begins to dwell deeply in our hearts, the posture towards one another needs to be of like a servant in humility. Because we know that it's only because of the grace of God that we've been saved, not based on how amazing we are. Friends, in our church family and, and maybe even our culture today, there are constant debates going on various things and current issues, whether if it's theological debates, whether if it's roadmaps and vaccines. No matter what our opinion is, there will be a temptation not to be humble. Our calling is to be humble, even more to each other as his church. How is that shown? It's done in humility, then it's shown in gentleness and meekness. It is a great word. It's a challenging word that we are called to be gentle. When we think about gentle, we may see once again someone who's reserved and you know quiet with their words and so on. No, uh, like I said, it's not just gentle. Actually, the word is meek. Meek does not mean weak. It's a posture. It's a culture in a church. Someone who's actually not overly impressed by their sense of self-importance. They don't feel like they need to dominate every situation. And they're not looking to be trying to be uh, uh, showing themselves as somebody. So this is the person who in the community, in, in a church community, and particularly in their faith, comes across with kindness rather than harshness. Comes across with compassion rather than being forceful or yelling or drowning out someone. They're wanting to submit to God's will 
by going alongside somebody in gentleness and meekness rather than causing that person to submit to their personal will. I mean, you know that as like we shared last week as Andrew did a great sermon where he reminded us that how angry our culture is, right? And that anger is trying to invade the church. We are tempted to drown out those who we disagree with. But that's not the way that God has called us as a church. We are to deal with things in gentleness and meekness. This is the calling of God's church. This is not an option. Our call is to walk in meekness to the world that is totally opposite to that. Another trait that is described here is in patience, or rather in steadfastness or long-suffering. Here the Apostle Paul is reminding the church, hey, as to show what it means to be a follower of Jesus, well, it needs to show how you walk alongside those in particular who are slow, who are difficult and challenging, perhaps even offensive to us, and they have numerous faults and you probably could number them all. They're frustrating. And the command here is the challenge here is to be patient with them, to be slow in seeking to rebuke them, knowing that they also are growing in Jesus, Jesus just like you and me, that we're all works in progress. Friends, this is to come alongside to those who are immature in Christ and being patient with them, just as God is patient with us. But this is wrapped around that beautiful word that is so familiar in the New Testament, that word of love. Now, this is not worldly love that's fluffy. This is the love that is driven out of the gospel, out of Christ through the power of the Holy Spirit, coming alongside because of this love walking alongside that person and their road of faith, rather encouraging them and pointing them to Christ. Friends, as you and I look over these things, these traits that are in front of us, this challenge of walking in a manner worthy of our calling, this, these things of humility and gentleness with patience, bearing with one another in love, the question is where and how do we and I struggle Remember, this is to a whole community. Does this mark our discussions that we have over theological differences, over the various topics that are going on in our culture, in the very world that we live in? Do our posts on social media, our emails, our SMSs, our Zoom chats, our conversations display these things? A walk in a manner worthy of the calling which you and I have been called with humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another in love. This is the calling that you've been given because of what Christ has done. One in humility and gentleness, patience, bearing one another in love. And friends, once again, like I keep saying, this is not an option. This is a command from God in his word. And this is something that needs to be deeply embedded in his church. This is the challenge that Paul is giving then and for us. Then you have in verse 3, to be eager to maintain the unity of the spirit and the bond of peace. Uh, friends, the language is so strong here. Once again, the Apostle Paul is saying, he's kind of reiterating what he's already said, saying, 
I urge you, please make every effort, every effort to keep maintaining this. What is this? The unity of the Spirit. This word unity first, what we want, he wants to say to the Ephesian church is something that he's already unpacked in Ephesians 2. It's saying that they haven't just been created. It's something that has to, uh, it's something that is a gift from God, this unity because of the gospel, because of what Christ has done. And now there's an active aspect of it. This active language is that this church is conscientiously and diligently pursuing unity of the spirit. Friends, this is a, a pursuit that is worthy to pursue. You and I, even today, may be tempted not to pursue this. And we may be willing to divide over various things, but the call is to maintain the unity of the Spirit and the bond of peace with people you and I may disagree with. The call is not to be pursuing the unity of the Spirit and the bond of peace only with people who agree with us or are like us. That's not how the church of Christ is meant to be displayed. That's maybe how the culture is. That's not how Jesus wants his church to be. And who is the one who enables all of this? You see that in the verse right in front of you. See that big word, S-P-I-R-I-T, Spirit? It's talking about the Holy Spirit. He is the one. He is the agent of this unity. It has a spiritual basis. But the result doesn't just stay inwardly. It's extended out externally how the church walks together in this world. See, true unity sets aside our own agenda and is focused on what really matters to God, what matters to his agenda or his roadmap. For his church, his bride, that is ultimately glued together in this beautiful bond of peace. This is the bond that glues and cements a church community to each other as followers, as fellow brothers and sisters in Christ, united to each other in Jesus, through the power of the Holy Spirit in peace. This is what Christ has done. He has achieved this peace because of his atoning death. Now, as followers of Jesus, his church, they are to implement this beautiful unity to, to actually make every effort in humility, in gentleness, with patience, in love, because of who we are in Christ. So this is why there's no room for Fighting and fractures and hostilities and gossip and everything that is totally counterculture to what this, these verses say. Peace must prevail. As one theologian put it, the church is the beachhead for a peace that is to extend to the cosmos. Church, this is our calling. This is not an option to, to preserve unity by living with peace with one another. And friends, as you look at these verses, what's it, what is it for you and for me? What is that challenge in our church? What is the current threats, I guess, that will always be there? Because threats will always be there to divide a church. The threat will always be there to be countercultural to humility that God requires. 
gentleness that God requires, patience that God requires, bearing one another in love that God requires. That is constantly a threat. The threat of unity, of the, of the spirit of the bond of peace, that is always a threat. So the question is, where is God stirring you and I? Are we forgetting about the peace that you and I have received because of Christ, because of who we are in Christ? I know there are discussions going on in our church community and externally, out, anywhere actually, whether if it's theological issues and debates, whether if it's cultural things on vaccine passports or COVID lockdowns, The challenge now is, friends, don't divide over things that actually ultimately don't matter to the Lord. To remember our calling. Do you know that you and I are not defined before the God of the universe, wherever you might have landed on certain theological things, or whether if you have a vaccine passport or not. It's because of Christ. This is whom we unite over. So there will be difference of opinions. I think there ought to be. But yet we're called, particularly if they're brothers and sisters in Christ, to engage in discussions, and they may be tough conversations, but to do so, as it's described here, to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which we've been called to, with humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another in love, eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit and the bond of peace. So this morning, maybe the simplest question I have for you, but a challenging one even for myself. Is there anything, anyone that we need to apologize to? Is there anyone that we need to be okay and disagreeing on, but then... Think about it as brothers and sisters in Christ and being in fellowship still. Friends, this is what we've been called to. This is the calling that God has got before us. Because of what Christ has done, this is what his church is called to be. And friends, this is all because of God's grace. I mean, the very source the very resource, the very source of this unity is not actually within ourselves. It is because of the very divine origin. It's from God himself. If unity is truly happening, we have in the verses next, we're after eager to maintain the unity of the spirit and the bond of peace. You have this wonderful statement. Have a look with me. There is one body and one spirit just as you were called to one hope that belongs that belongs to your call one lord one faith one baptism one god and father of all who is over all and through all and in all it's a wonderful summary confession here many new testament scholars would say that this was known as a confessional hymn this was, was something that you would confess as a believer. So in front of you right now, if you have a pen or a pencil, there's a few things that you could highlight. One is, see how many times that word one is mentioned. There are seven ones. 
or, or, or seven unities are all rooted in one beautiful, deep reality of who God is, the Trinity. So if you look again, you have Spirit, Lord, God. I mean, each of these seven unities are focused on one member of the Trinity. First up, you have the Holy Spirit. He's the one who actually brings this unity in body and spirit. The Holy Spirit is the one who creates the body of Christ. He's the one who brings life to a church. He's the one who connects people together. I don't know if you've experienced this when you've met someone and they say they're a Christian, a follower of Christ. Guess what? They're not just an acquaintance, but they are a fellow brother and sister in Christ. That's instant connection. I mean, I just recently had this sort of experience recently when I had the joy of serving some pastors in Japan. And one of the things straight away when I was talking to some of the leaders there was we were able to connect straight away, not because I know Japanese. I had no idea. We had an interpreter. It was an interesting time. But there were brothers and sisters in Christ. They shared their joys and challenges. I could resonate with them because of the Holy Spirit. There's unity in there. He's called us to this one body, that is the church, through the one hope of eternal life, that is the good news of the gospel. And then you have Jesus. That's that Lord there. That's Jesus Christ as Lord. When you have one Lord in Jesus, your focus is actually on a person. And this is described in this elements of baptism, meaning that when you are saved in Christ, you are united with him. And that you have this one hope as well. That language of hope is thinking of what is to come. This is the calling that you have, that you will be with him. And Jesus is the one who's proclaimed this because of his gospel. This is symbolized literally through baptism, being that you're united with him. It displays that beautiful picture of being born again, represented there. This is describing what Christ and his work. And then you have this beautiful picture of once again of the work of the Father. You see that in the verses there in front of you? One God and Father of all, who is over all and through all and in all. This language here is one's talking about God the Father. The same fatherhood that they have. This is a unity that we've been given. The same eternity of the hope that is to come. It's a picture of who God is as the one who is the originator of life. The ruler, sustainer, presence of everything and everyone in the universe. See, after all that is said and done... This unity, this seven one, the seven unity is grounded from God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. It's all connected to the Trinity. This is a beautiful picture that our unity is much more than temporal. It's actually eternal and it's actually unbreakable because of this. This means just as God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit are different but equal, serving each other, the call of the church is the same. To gather under Jesus, to be a family of eternal and unbreakable unity of different but equal persons, focused on serving each other. And when this happens, dear friends, when this happens, it's not actually about us. It's about reflecting our Creator. 
The source is our God. The most holy, glorious Trinity. In order to reflect to a world not about ourselves at all, it is to reflect about God himself in this unity. But friends, this is at threat. This is being challenged. This is how divisions arise. And did you know that when divisions arise in a church family, in a church community, amongst brothers and sisters in Christ, what's going on in that moment, the displays, there's not belief in who God is. Richard Koken in his commentary in Ephesians puts it this way. Churches can be damaged either by being too soft when we should be courageously contending for the gospel against false teachers, or being too hard when we should be more patiently tolerant with our brothers and sisters in Christ. The wisdom to discern the different comes from being committed to rejoicing in people from diversity of cultures, backgrounds, languages, and I would add, even in this season, vaccination statuses, gathering into the unity of the one gospel faith, in relationship with one Father, one Son, our Lord, and one Spirit. See, when division is being tempted, when division occurs at that church level, it's showing that it believes in belief and brings into question on who God is and his very character. This means also that we're not resting in the God who is sovereign, the one who is supreme over all. And this is yet the calling that we have, and we can because we are united under his glorious, beautiful reality that God is our Father. Church family, this is who our God is. This is why we're so called to be eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit and the bond of peace. It's only possible, once again, if we look at the one who has done this, the one who was perfect in his calling, the one who is described as humble, a servant, gentle and meek, who is patient with you and me, bearing with us every day in love, who is committed to unity to the point that he died on the cross for his church. And so when he calls us, not out of our own strength, but by the power of the Holy Spirit, we are called live lives and we are asking the holy spirit to produce this fruit of humility and gentleness and patience and love in order to actually stop displaying it ourselves but to display to the glorious triune god to a world that needs to know how god and who he is to a world that needs to see this as a witness so friends, what disunity is happening in our hearts this morning, whether if it's in your very home, whether if it's amongst fellow brothers and sisters in Christ, you may have very valid views on theology or current cultural issues. Are we responding in a way, as it's described in here, that we're walking in a manner worthy of the calling to which you and I have been called with all humility and gentleness, with patience and bearing one another in love, eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit and the bond of peace? Is there someone that you and I need to 
message, email, call? Do we need to delete that Facebook post that we've made? Do we need to apologize to them? Is the Lord challenging you and I to, to be patient with who is that person or individual or even church to bear one another in love? And if you and I struggle to do that, this is what Christ does with us every day. Church family, there is one body. There's one spirit, just as you were called to one hope and you were called. One Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all who is over all and through all and in all. Let's, with the power of the Holy Spirit, walk in a manner worthy to the calling with humility, gentleness, patience, bearing one another in love to be eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit and the bond of peace. Would you join with me in prayer? Almighty God, I pray and I plead with you right now. Would you make this a marker in our lives, the church family, as a community? Oh, Holy Spirit, would you produce this in us? I plead with you in this week, if we need to make calls to seek forgiveness, delete posts, delete emails, stop conversations that are bringing division, Please enable us in order to, for others to see you, God, not us, and to bear witness to this broken world, all for your glory, Lord Jesus. In your name we pray. Amen. God bless you, church family.